electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Julia Borston. What a show. A huge hour coming up on Tech Check today. The latest on Microsoft's dive into hybrid work. Exclusive interview with CEO Satya Nadella alongside LinkedIn CEO Ryan Roslansky. Then hear from Verizon's Hans Vestberg and the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, as the new football season gets underway tonight. And that's not all. We also have the CEO of work from home winner Logitech as the company looks to go carbon neutral by 2030. A big hour ahead. So don't go anywhere, John. Yeah, and we will start right now with Microsoft focusing on demand for hybrid work with a slew of new features announced today for Office and LinkedIn. Uh, updates include AI-driven camera software to detect who in a room is speaking, additional Outlook RSVP details to indicate if things are in-person or online, and even a PowerPoint feature allowing users to layer Teams video into the experience for live presentations. And Microsoft's LinkedIn is leaning in when it comes to hiring, allowing companies to indicate whether a role is in-person remote or hybrid. I spoke exclusively to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and LinkedIn CEO Ryan Roslansky about these changes and why Microsoft, Microsoft itself has given up trying to predict exactly when its workers will be back in offices. But, but I started by asking Nadella about inflation, specifically the Microsoft 365 price increase that's coming in March and how he's balancing cost pressures in the global, uh, global economy against Microsoft's mission to make customers more productive. This is an unprecedented time in terms of some of the constraints that are there. There is the demand shock as well as the supply constraints that are all playing out. Uh, but to me, the thing that is most needed going forward in order to deal with all of the constraints, quite frankly, in the real economy, uh, perhaps is the malleability of some of the digital technology, right? For example, in this world, which we are, we are about to enter, this hybrid economy where people are going to you know, make different choices about when, where, and how they work. And with this paradox uh, of where people may say that you know, they want the flexibility, but also at the same time, the human connection, a lot of the technology investments that we announced today, right? Take the AI camera. The AI camera is going to, in fact, be deflationary because it's going to help uh, everybody participate in meetings uh, and help drive productivity up. Uh, or even, you know, the Cameo feature, which is about being able to deliver great presentations, learning content. So I think, if anything, uh, we are going to use perhaps digital technology more uh, to bring about more control to any inflationary pressure in the real economy, just not in the software te- uh, you know, sector, but across the broad economy. Yeah, put, puts and takes for sure. And then on that, Satya, uh, talk to me about cloud competition. Um, we've gotten into your strategy to grow high value share in the cloud before. Um, 
AI, applications, infrastructure, all of that. I think particularly when we were talking around your planned acquisition of Nuance and the importance uh, of that to the healthcare vertical, give me a sense of how you're measuring success in getting deeper into verticals and growing out those uh, cloud-driven AI solutions that, that are going to lead you to growth in the future. Yeah, for us, John, I think it all comes down to the Microsoft Cloud. So one of the things that I've always maintained for the last seven plus years is we don't make our decisions, whether it is the capital investment or whether it is even the individual product categories that we compete in uh, as separate categories, but all coming together. Like even if you take, say, what happens when you deploy Teams, uh, one of the first things you do, in fact, the increase of usage of Teams in the first line has gone through over our triple digits, right? Mm. So if you think about that, the tr it's not just about communication. So the first line people who are working are also not only communicating with say H H uh, headquarters folks uh, using messaging, but are also using applications that are integrated into their workflow. So Power Apps is being used along with Teams. And of course, Power Apps is built on Azure databases. So to me, building out the continuity from infrastructure to SaaS, with security, with great tooling. That's the Microsoft cloud value proposition and we are differentiated and we want to compete in each category on its own. Uh, but if somebody asks me, what's the differentiation of Microsoft? It's about the Microsoft cloud all the way from business applications to um, you know, Teams and Microsoft 365 to Azure and everything in between. Yeah, and doing all of that, again, in a hybrid environment. And that's where, Ryan, I want to bring you in. Um, LinkedIn is turning on a new feature that's going to let companies and individuals signal how they're looking to work, remote, hybrid, all in, in person or on premise. I, I take it you tested this probably. So do you have any sense of how much this is going to reduce friction uh, in matching job candidates or increase satisfaction? Well, what impact that this might have on the overall recruiting environment? Yeah, John, you know, I mean, taking a step back, what we're seeing right now across the world, any uh, CEO executive team right now is having a conversation about what their company looks like moving forward. Do we work remotely? Do we work hybrid? Do we work in person? In fact, what they're doing is rethinking their company's culture and values. And on the flip side, you have hundreds of millions of employees that have worked differently the past 18 months um, who are also trying to rethink how they work and where they work, but also why they work. And, you know, being LinkedIn, we sit at the center of this massive talent marketplace. Five people will start a new job every minute that they found uh, on LinkedIn. We need to make sure that our platform is adapting towards the way that the world is adapting. You know, we see that uh, if pre-pandemic, about 1.9% of all jobs posted on LinkedIn were remote jobs. Today, that's 16%. So we need to make sure that when someone's out there looking for a job to connect talent opportunity, companies can better showcase their policies, but also job seekers and members can showcase what they are looking for so that we can make sure that the market is super efficient moving forward. Yeah, and, and you also surveyed, I think, more than 500 C-level execs in the U.S., and the UK uh, just last month, and work flexibility was a big topic there. And uh, I think just over half of leaders said they're going to be offering flexible work options and that uh, happy employees lead to better business results. But that means that 
almost half didn't say that. So can you give us a sense of where the divide is? Who's getting the flexibility or finding that it's going to be valuable versus who's not? Because we, we tend to embrace these sort of all or nothing narratives that, of course, aren't how things are actually playing out. Well, I think that to your point, look, this all or nothing narrative being dogmatic right now is absolutely the, the the wrong choice, at least in my opinion. You know, a lot of us thought we may be, you know, completely back in person uh, across the world right now. And that's just that line keeps moving further and further ahead. So this idea that it's key, uh, really important to be flexible in your thinking, in your approach, trusting your employees to get their jobs done where it works best for them is one of the most important things we've been seeing in the data uh, and not only on the data and what we're doing across LinkedIn as well for, for our company to ensure that we can be flexible uh, and continue to build LinkedIn for the members across the world that need us so much right now. Ryan, you got an example of a tough lesson uh, that, that you've learned or seen learned about that during this time about either expectations on what's going to happen or figuring out what employees actually want and need to be productive? I think uh, we learn a tough lesson almost every week, it feels like, uh, in, in navigating everything that's going on. You know, one of the most important things that I'll say, and, you know, I'll, I learned it from Satya, I think going back uh, a year ago, you, you'd see a lot of companies that, you know, I think we went, the pandemic started in March saying, hey, we're all going to be back in person, opened up in June again. Uh, and I remember at that time, you know, a lot of us were saying, well, then other companies doing it, maybe we should all go and say the same thing as well. And just this idea that when you put a date in the sand like that and you get everyone riled up against it, that it becomes really hard to navigate as that, as that line moves. So this idea, you know, Satya, remember Satya, you know, talking about it's really important not to be dogmatic right now and just lean into the flexibility is the key to navigating all of this. Yeah. And, and to that point, Satya, I, I believe that's probably feeds into why Microsoft isn't giving a date right now. That is absolutely right. I mean, in some sense, we tried that uh, and it doesn't work because uh, I think the unknowns on the pandemic and also the other side of it is uh, the worldwide nature of this. I sort of also feel that sometimes we think about this pandemic or the impact of it at one region at a time, but it's a connected world. So therefore, I think we have to really let this all settle down, John. So if we, one thing that we decided is from now on, we'll just use data uh, to really talk about in any particular region being open and also monitor, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, I'm very, very, you know, looking forward to the entire world overcoming this challenge because until we do so, any particular company region thinking that they've found the answer, I think we'll just be short-sighted. Data dependent, sounds like the Fed, uh, which leads us to what you're calling the hybrid paradox that uh, employees really want flexibility, but at the same time, they want to see their coworkers more. Where's the opportunity for software innovation here? Because it seems like more and more uh, customers are going to be relying on you to help them bridge this gap between digital and physical space. Uh, and then the physical space has to be flexible, whether we're talking about hot desking or who's going to be in the office when. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, if you think about all of the technology that I think we now have at our disposal, 
to be able to navigate these choices and preferences that people have. Uh, let's take the hot desking piece. Uh, you know, when I think about hot desking, now you need to be able to get a Teams display, immediately log in, have all your files and artifacts right there. So in fact, so this is hot desking with Teams support. Or the other one is in hybrid meetings, you want to bring out your phone and have the mobile companion, right? Even if you are sitting in a hybrid meeting with a couple of colleagues in a conference room, socially distanced, some people remote, you want to participate in chat. So therefore, again, that companion app becomes important. The other one is this AI camera. Uh, so if you want, you know, one of the things today when you dial into a conference room, uh, you don't see everybody in the conference room sometimes, and especially you don't see them in their square, so to speak. So the AI camera allows everybody to participate as first class, whether they're remote or in a conference room together. So lots and lots of technology that I think we'll put to you know bear. But the one other thing I would also mention, uh, John, is it's not just the tools for meetings and communications. It's even about the social capital side. Uh, one thing that I'm very, very excited about is the work we're doing with Viva to make sure that managers can truly care for the people they lead by using, again, data mm. uh, and build that connection. Because uh, to Ryan's point about in this great reshuffle, the connection between the employee and the company's mission, their leader and their team, I think is going to be the new currency. And so that I think is also someplace, a place where technology and data can help. And is there a gap there, a product? There are so many products that Microsoft has and that so many companies in the industry have for managing projects or you know, for managing documents or for managing spreadsheets on and on down the line. Is there the need for more software for managing people and emotions? And I, I don't just mean your classic HR software or even um, you know, software that manages learning, but it seems like we don't have the best ways yet of knowing how people are doing, what they're excited about learning, and how they're growing. That's a great, great point. And I would say, again, there are limits to what software can do. It ultimately requires enlightened and great managers. But that said, managers need tools. And in that context, what we are doing with Viva, which is about the experience, uh, you know, it's basically employee experience as a new software category. And in that category, it's about really the manager's connection to their employees. It's about well-being for employees. It's about learning in the flow of work. So things like LinkedIn. LinkedIn learning integrated into Teams. Uh, and it's really ultimately bringing all these things together to build back the social capital that is so key and the learning capital and the knowledge capital that is so key for any firm, any organization. Uh, and Ryan, put a button on it, if you will. I mean, you came into this role as CEO of LinkedIn with not too many weeks before you were dealing uh, with this really uh, challenging pandemic situation that has not... Um, that hasn't gone away. Uh, in what way has that affected your view uh, of the workplace going forward and of leadership and your leadership going forward? Yeah, you know, like we've talked about previously, John, I never imagined to be a CEO uh, from my bedroom with my kids doing school, um, you know, in the rooms next door for the for the first uh, year of being a CEO. Uh, but you can't only be a leader when things are good. And the key to navigating right now is, you know, being flexible, making sure you're paying attention uh, to the data, but more than anything, just making sure that you're uh, moving forward and looking forward. The way that things worked and the way you managed and led two years ago can't be the way that you're doing it moving forward. So how are we leveraging new software, new tools, new cultural, uh, you know, HCM technologies to make sure that we can manage everything uh, to where the world is going, not to where it's been. 
And uh, a reminder, Julia, that at the end of the last fiscal year, a couple months ago, LinkedIn uh, clocked its first $10 billion year revenue-wise. And so now there's going to be a marketplace of work styles and, and work locations. And we'll see, especially in this tight labor market, how that plays out, along with all of these other features that Microsoft is putting out there, trying to gain advantage in the enterprise. Yeah, John, just a fantastic interview. I was so interested by what they both said about this idea that human capital, social capital is really the final frontier in terms of having companies, getting companies a competitive advantage in the workplace right now. And I'm curious what you see um, as really the big surprise out of that. You know, do you think there's a shift away from tools to maximize efficiency to tools to you know, reduce churn of employees or this idea that you need to figure out how to, to tap into that creativity um, and the innovation of workers wh wherever they are, whether they're, they're at home or in the workplace through this new sort of what looks to me like a metaverse <laughs> type experience for collaboration? Well, Julia, I think the biggest surprise is nested in that news that Microsoft is no longer trying to peg any kind of date for an overall return to office. And, Carl, I think that means that they're calling audibles in the software industry, especially in enterprise software, constantly. Uh, and they're doing it in how they are uh, marketing and rolling out products so that their customers can call audibles. This reminds me of Bill McDermott, who joined us just a couple weeks ago, talking about ServiceNow, buying a company that's going to allow people to map out offices for more hot desking. Microsoft's features are going in that direction as well. And, you know, Teams is competing with Zoom over, you know, video in presentations and communication. So, you know, uh, right along the lines of those themes that we've been talking about here on Tech Check. Yeah, and we talked to Bill McDermott about that purchase not too long ago. I think that's exactly the lead of the whole interview, uh, John, is that moment where Nadella tells you that, look, we tried to set dates in the past and it didn't work. Um, and it ties right into what we heard from the airlines uh, today, what we've heard from Fed officials this week, what we saw in the jobs number on Friday. And now what the White House is saying, you know, we're in the period, John, where this is the fall and kids are going back to school. We thought people would be going back to work en masse, but it's going to be about testing and getting the input so that Microsoft and companies like it can analyze that data and try to make the best audible they can. Yeah, and we'll also get to see, uh, as we addressed when we started out in that conversation, whether this enterprise software is deflationary, right? Because while the price of it is going up in March, Nadella arguing that these features are going to actually allow companies to be more productive and perhaps lower costs, uh, lower prices Thanks to Satya Nadella and Ryan Roslansky for joining us uh, exclusively for Tech Check. Yeah, uh, fantastic, John. Uh, by the way, before the break, guys, let's get a gut check this morning on GameStop. Uh, <laughs> whether it's you think it's the most boring or exciting company to own, shares are down big this morning after that earnings call that lasted all of eight minutes and featured no analyst questions, no guidance, uh, no CFO, and no Ryan Cohen. We didn't even get... Uh, some cryptic tweet of an ice cream cone. Uh, the stock is well off the levels we saw at the height of the meme craze earlier this year, down more than 30 percent since the Chewy founder was installed as chairman back in June. Volume has fallen off a cliff, nowhere near the volume that we saw in January, uh, February and March.
March. Meantime, the HODL crowd on Reddit is raving about the dip today. But GameStop so far is silent on its plans to use its cash or take advantage of that mammoth valuation. This week, the journal points out this is the busiest year for deal making on record. And as AMC CEO Adam Aaron teases a potential partnership between the two companies, answers questions from the apes, gives out free popcorn, or even Elon Musk mocking the SEC and sending shorts to to his critics. Investors are asking, what is a cult stock without a cult leader? Shares down about 8% right now. Julia. And Carl, you know, such a contrast with AMC, which just announced it's going to be doing its first ever TV ad campaign, taking some of those uh, that cash that it has now to spend $25 million on TV advertising. Meanwhile, the CEO of Logitech, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, and Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg. A huge hour of Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Logitech has been a huge work-from-home winner, as you know. Stock's up 140% in the last two years, as we've seen a return to growth in personal computing. But what happens to all those old keyboards and headsets? Company announcing today it's aiming to be carbon neutral by 2030 and climate positive beyond then. Joining us this morning is Logitech CEO Bracken Darrell. Bracken, it's great to have you back. And I think anybody who's ever had to dispose of old equipment has wondered, gosh, I mean, what is happening to the equipment that I'm throwing out. Can you talk about how you're going to get to that that goal by 2030? Yeah, you know, actually, the our, our, we're going to be carbon neutral this year, we're announcing today. And then we're going to be climate positive by 2030. Our goal is to be climate positive, which means we'll be taking more carbon out of the air than we're putting in. And we're going to take down our carbon output of the company and all of its suppliers and, and customers by 50% by then. So it's a big commitment and a, and, a, and a big announcement about being carbon neutral today. In terms of, of really dealing with the existing products, you know, we've already started down the path of being aggressive on including consumer recycled plastic in everything we do. We're looking for alternative materials too, but between now and until, we, until those are really available, we're trying to take what we're, what we're using today and put it back into our products. And in fact, by the end of this year, 50% of our keyboards and mice will include consumer recycled plastic and we're taking it up from there. Fascinating. Where was the, the motivation for this target? Did it come from in your employee base? Uh, is it investors? Is it something that's ingrained into the, the core mission and values of the company or something else? Yeah, it's really central to the purpose of the company. You know, we, we, our purpose is to enable all people to fulfill their passions and do it in a way that's good for the planet. And to be good for the planet, we've got to be climate positive or making the climate better not making it a little less worse. That's that's why we're committing to 2030. We're in a very small number of companies that have gone, been that aggressive. 
Uh, so it's deeply in the company, but it is shared by virtually everybody in our company. There's such enthusiasm for this initiative. We've got great feedback from investors, and uh, and I think an increasing number of customers are excited about it too. Yeah, Bracken, it certainly seems like this will appeal to customers, including those such as myself, who find this need to keep buying um, different products to keep up with the at-home work craze. But my question is uh, sort of how you think about the impact of the products themselves as opposed to buying carbon offsets, which is an area that has been criticized, especially recently. Yeah, we're really careful about offsets because we've really tried to make sure that we understand that we, we can really track all the way down to the tree planted in the ground where it's going. And, and, uh, and you know, a, a tree takes out about, uh, you know, two people's worth of uh, carbon from the air. So it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty efficient technology. But we don't think it's nearly enough. And until there are, there are technologies where we can completely take carbon output down to zero, we're very aggressively redesigning our products for sustainability. You know, we, we're announcing G435 uh, that we've announced earlier this year that takes actually 40% of the carbon out. So we're between new materials, renewable energy sources at the at the source. Uh, we're really aggressively working to redesign our products to take the carbon down. In fact, by 2030, we'll take 50% of the of our carbon out of our the product experience across the entire supply chain down to your usage as a customer. Hey, Bracken, good to see you. It's John Ford. So it's been a heck hey, of a year plus uh, for the supply chain, especially semiconductors, which are in pretty much everything that you guys are making. And also for demand, we're just talking to Satya Nadella about this need for flexibility and and how, well, webcams, which Logitech makes a lot of, are are driving uh, some of that. As we move into this hybrid environment of work and school and the uncertainty, how are you seeing that affect demand? And when do you see your supply improving to the point where you want to see it? Well, I think we're. I think from a supply standpoint, we're about where we wanted to be. We still we're still short of a few products, and and we have component shortages uh, here and there. But we've been largely able to manage those. You know, I'm excited for the long term. You know, for for the company. You know, we really it's really put us in a position. We we sit at the at the intersection of so many of these trends: the work from home trend, the rise of esports, the the rise of people creating content for each other. And and uh, and of course the 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 uh, video conferencing trend that you just talked to Satya, you know we're we're the biggest uh, enabler of video conferencing room from an equipment standpoint. So so we're really in the middle of this, and everything just scaled up in the last year. So now we've got a bigger base to to, to deal with, and a lot of people we can help. Yeah, and and all those who said that uh, we'd be looking at a rollover of that demand, uh, having to recompute as well, Bracken. Uh, appreciate you sharing uh, the climate. Uh, carbon goals and uh, talking about uh, return to office as well. Good to see you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And Aaron Levy boxing out Starboard in a big proxy battle, maintaining control of the company he founded. So what comes next for the tech company? Those details later this hour. And after the break, Verizon's Hans Vestberg and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell as the NFL season kicks off. A big hour still ahead on Tech Tech. Don't go away. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. 
Canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. We're resetting here at the bottom of the hour. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Julia Borston. We're going to get more from Verizon's Hans Vestberg and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell in a moment as a new football season kicks off tonight on NBC. But first, let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Airline stocks are among the biggest gainers in the S&P 500. Most of the big carriers have lowered revenue guidance due to the Delta variant and rising COVID cases, but the cuts are relatively small, and some say that the dip will be short-lived. Walmart ending its long-held tradition of paying quarterly bonuses to its store workers. The move comes just a week after Walmart announced that it is raising the minimum hourly wage for more than half a million employees. The European Central Bank says that it will begin trimming some of its emergency pandemic support for the economy. The ECB says it will moderately slow its pace of bond purchases in the coming months. And back here in the U.S., weekly jobless claims falling to another pandemic low of 310,000. Continuing claims also dropped to their lowest level since March of last year. So a bit of good news there. Julia, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Rahel. And Verizon and the NFL announcing a 10-year partnership to use 5G to power tech adoption throughout the league. And also naming Verizon an official tech partner of the NFL with Verizon 5G Ultra Wideband now available in 25 stadiums for the season that kicks off today. This partnership aims to improve the fan experience in the stadium and at home as these partners build out more capabilities such as augmented reality. I spoke with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg. Take a listen. It's all about innovation and making the experience for our fans better. So speed and quality of the, the data and information that comes out of our stadium is a critical component to that. Uh, and so it not only makes the experience for our fans better in the stadium, but also at home and on the go. And of course, it makes our game better because all those analytics uh, are used by our teams. This is now a platform for innovation, as Roger said, a platform for innovation for fans in the stadium and when you're at home. And that is also a platform for innovation for the venue operation. It's a platform for coaches and for, uh, for the players and for referees over time to see that that gave the, all the data at the right time with the right speed. So 5G Ultra Wideband is just playing out exactly as we thought, being extremely good in dense areas or dense urban areas where there's a lot of people at the same time. So this is a great way for us to continue to be the leading technology partner and the, and the the official 5D network for the NFL. I also asked about COVID. Both Vestberg and Goodell were bullish on their businesses despite the rise of the Delta variant. Verizon saying that consumer spending is robust. And Goodell saying that he expects NFL fans to return to stadiums in even higher numbers than back in 2019. We also asked about the next round of media deals for Roger Goodell and the NFL. Uh, NFL Sunday ticket rights are coming up after next year's season. And the NFL is also looking for for a strategic partner to invest in its media properties. That includes NFL Network, NFL Red Zone, and all of the league's digital platforms. We have a lot of additional media properties that are available. We have a lot of interest in those properties. Sunday Ticket is one of those. Uh, we think it's a tremendous product um, and maybe one that will be uh, something that will be more attractive on a digital platform as those platforms become um more used by our fans and and that would give us an ability to go direct to consumer in many ways which is a positive thing for us 
So there are two things at play here. One is Sunday ticket. And the other is the fact that you're exploring a sale of part of your media properties. So can you tell us where both of those deals stand? And if you, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the importance of digital, are you talking to the likes of Amazon or Apple or what types of companies or which company do you think this, these deals are going to go to? What we're looking to do is to bring in a strategic partner who are going to help us look at uh, our, our assets, whether it's Red Zone or Sunday Ticket or whether it's the NFL Network, and figure out how to, to, to take that into the next um, technology, the next opportunity to get to our fans and to bring greater access to our fans. Uh, so this is about a strategic partnership that will actually make us better. Uh, and that's what we're looking for. We're not we're not getting out. We're going to continue to be investors in this. And on the heels of a number of big sports betting deals, Goodell told me that sports betting is going to drive engagement, build a broader fan base for the NFL and grow revenue. It'll be somewhat like. Uh, fantasy football was for us in the 90s and has been over the last several decades. But this will be uh, an even more uh, immersive uh, experience. And I think there are a lot of fans, obviously, that want to engage with our game differently, that want greater access, that want to be able to do different things while the game is going on. And we'll be able to provide that on, on other platforms to be able to allow them to, to do this on legalized sport betting platforms that are our official sponsors. You can find my whole interview with Goodell and Vesberg on CNBC.com slash TechCheck. And of course, the season kicks off tonight on NBC. And Peacock, Carl, just so notable here how Goodell was really focused on the broadest audience possible and the idea that that's likely to come through tech platforms. Yeah. And we were talking with uh, Drew Rosenhaus, super agent last hour, about sort of the overlay between gaming and even crypto and NFTs and how that's all sort of uh, layered on top of sports right now. John, we know uh, it's probably the most important piece of intellectual property out there. That includes things that are scripted and not scripted. Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure, Carl. And Julia, it seemed interesting to me that a lot of times people use the word invest wrong when they really mean spend. But it seemed like Goodell was saying they're looking for a partner not really in distribution alone so much as somebody to buy into the business and help them in R&D and product development. So it could still be some of those same players, but it sounds like they're looking for uh, something a little different. Is, is that the way you heard it? I, I, I think you're totally right. This is an opportunity for them to potentially partner with a big tech company and figure out different ways to grow. Interesting to hear both of them talk a little bit about augmented reality, the opportunity to layer different types of stats and data on top of just watching the game. And the potential, really, if you're doing this on a digital platform, is the game could be so much more robust. You could totally see how sports betting would play into that. And what this all adds up to, Carl, is just a lot more engagement and fans that are paying attention and doing multiple things during the game that are all about the NFL. Yeah, we're not hearing too much about things you do when you watch the game later uh, on a recorded version. Uh, fascinating. And we can't wait for tonight, uh, Julia. That was a great interview, too. Uh, when we, as we go to break here, Uber of the skies. That's what J.P. Morgan is calling Blade this morning in a new note forecasting potential 80% upside for the stock. Company also engaging in some M&A, agreeing to acquire an organ transplant platform. Shares at a two-month high. You can read all about it at cnbc.com slash pro. And TechCheck is back in two. 
Bit of a boxing match between Starboard and Aaron Levy today in a battle over control of the company. And it looks like we may have a winner. Leslie Picker has details. ILP. Hey, Carl, we do have a winner. Box garnering a win in this election, electing its three nominees, including Aaron Levy, to the 10-person board. This marks the first proxy contest loss for Starboard in nearly a decade since the firm took on AOL in 2012. Now, the very active activist investor tends to settle. It tends to withdraw. It tends to win board seats, but not so in this case. Starboard owns about 8.8% of Box, making it the second largest shareholder after Vanguard. I'm hearing that Starboard received support from about 15% of the shares outstanding, excluding its own stake. In other words, this wasn't a terribly close vote in the end. Now, at the crux of Starboard's argument here, really bread and butter activist stuff, underperformance, inefficient capital allocation, decelerating top line growth, but diluting their case was the fact that Starboard already settled with Box just back in March of 2020, adding three independent directors at the time. Starboard's dissatisfaction was catalyzed about nine months later when a slight guidance miss sent the stock plummeting. The firm called for Box at the time to sell itself or fire CEO Aaron Levy. Proxy documents show instead Box opted for a $500 million capital raise through KKR to buyback stock, but Starboard claimed the box did this to, quote, by the vote. In a statement in response to today's results, Starboard said, quote, we are certainly disappointed by the results of this election, which were heavily skewed by the voting rights tied to the preferred equity financing and the use of stockholder capital to aggressively repurchase shares ahead of the record date from stockholders likely to support change. Nonetheless, the stock has returned nearly double the S&P this year, although trading lower on today's news, guys. Yeah, great breakdown, uh, Leslie, and a a win by knockout for Aaron Levy there on the vote anyway. <laughs> uh, ahead of new numbers from Affirm and Zscale after the bell today, we're going to break down the fintech space with Challenger Bank Vero, fresh off of a half a billion dollar fundraising round. That's next. And don't miss the CEO of Zscaler tomorrow following that report here on Tech Check. Stay with us. Let's get a check on some China names. It's a sea of red for Internet companies in there in China this morning, following reports that Chinese regulators called in companies like Tencent and NetEase for interviews to remind them of those new restrictions on game time for children. Private markets also getting impacted, with Ant seeing yet another valuation cut over at Fidelity, this time to $78 billion. That's a big drop from the $235 billion valuation it was seeking in its IPO in November. And then even Kathy Wood losing some hope. ARK Invest reducing its positions in the country, quote, dramatically in order to focus on companies they think are less likely to face scrutiny. Meantime, Dow has lost a lot of a triple-digit gain this morning. Tech Check is back in a moment. Fintech news this morning. Varo, the first all-digital nationally chartered bank in the U.S., announcing today it closed a $510 million funding round. The round was led by new investor Lone Pine Capital, joined by dozens of other new investors. Varo's the latest digital bank to garner a multi-billion dollar valuation while attracting millions of new customers who are dissatisfied with traditional institutions. We're also, of course, going to get uh, a firm earnings today after the bell, uh, notable in the fintech space. With us now, Varo's CEO, uh, Colin Welsh. Walsh, sorry. Uh, Colin, great to have you. And first, I want to get into the funding and, and your growth, but I'm curious your take on uh, th this controversy with Coinbase and the SEC and the idea of a 4% yield 
on an account, not a savings account. But is this the future of fintech, being able to use technology to provide uh, yields like that or something else? Hi, John. First off, thrilled to be on your show. Thanks so much. It's, a, it's an exciting moment today for, for Varro and for our investors, but I think more importantly for the industry at large. And we can talk more about that. As, in terms of your question on, on Coinbase, I, I do feel that uh, a number of fintechs are bringing new innovation to financial services. It's not my uh, <laughs> role to, to necessarily pine on the position of some of the other players in the space, but, but I do think that uh, with many players are working very hard to create innovations that have better consumer outcomes. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of that debate. But you know, as far as you know, our news today, I think it's incredibly uh, important uh, moment right now for our industry because Varro has been working incredibly hard to uh, help many millions of consumers that, you know, as you said, have been dissatisfied with banks. But quite frankly, they've been overcharged, they've been underserved. And in many cases, they've simply been marginalized by the system. And, you know, I have uh, years of practitioner experience and saw this firsthand and felt the way to really bring true progress and innovation to the banking system was to do it from the inside. So I look forward to talking more about uh, the journey that we've been on to really create a unique bank. Well, let's talk about that. I'm not trying to get you to uh, trash talk Coinbase specifically, but I do think that there are so many institutions right now, uh, tech companies, that are looking to be the everything app and the everything experience when it comes to consumers and finance. And they're making various pitches. High yields uh, on savings is one of those. And I'm curious what your strategy is for uh, telling the consumer how you're going to deliver value and, and whether that strategy is one that you would adopt. Well, first and foremost, I think let's uh, start with the fact that we did the hard work and made a strategic choice to become a real bank. So uh, being a legitimate bank that's held to a very high standard, everything we do is is closely scrutinized by our regulators. And, and as a result, though, we have a number of significant competitive advantages. And, and one of your colleagues uh, put out a story this morning and he talked about some of the economic advantages. But I'd love to just talk about the consumer advantages. And you know, we, as our own bank now, own our full stack. We can do some very innovative things with our data, and we're able to innovate across a wide range of financial products. So you know, if you put, put yourself in the shoes of, say, a you know, 30-something trying to make ends meet, working a couple of jobs, uh, and you come across a bank that you know, eliminates all the fees and charges, that gives you the early paycheck, that gives you cash when you need it to just kind of bridge to the next paycheck that helps you fix your credit, that helps you build savings habits, that pays you cash back, that allows you, you know, soon we're going to allow you to pay your rent on um, uh, through Zelle and be able to open up a shared account yeah. with a partner. So all of this sort of rebundled, as you're saying, you know, into a sophisticated, intuitively yeah. designed app. To me, that is the future. So I guess and, and, the question then, Colin, is as you think about growing that user base, who are you competing with? Is it the traditional banks or is it some of the other challenger banks, services like Chime? Yeah, so that's, it's a great question. Thanks for asking that. I mean, we're really in a unique space because we have the full scope of things that a bank can do, but we're also a fintech and we're digitally native. We have probably the most modern tech stack in the world from a banking perspective. And so our ability to innovate and innovate quickly does put us in a really interesting, exciting place. And this capital is simply gonna allow us to turbocharge our growth, to build a brand that consumers trust, that can be very culturally relevant and iconic in the moment that we're living in today. Uh, Colin, it is such 
an important space. Uh, banking, the payments, that, that cash up front uh, for so many people. So uh, we hope you'll come back and continue to uh, tell us about your progress and your developments there at Varo. Great. We love it. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time on the show. And Amazon is going after Elon Musk in a very personal way. That story is next. Stay with us. One more thing, the latest in a back and forth, Amazon takes aim at Elon Musk. In a letter to the FCC, the lead counsel for Kuiper Systems, Amazon's planned $10 billion satellite internet company set to compete with Musk's Starlink, called out Musk for his controversial tactics, writing, quote, the conduct of SpaceX and other Musk-led companies makes their view plain. Rules are for other people, and those who insist upon or even simply request compliance are deserving of derision and ad hominem attacks. If the FCC regulated hypocrisy, SpaceX would be keeping the commission very busy. If there's anything kind to say about SpaceX's approach, it is that it has been effective in achieving SpaceX's goal of avoiding both the rules and any sanction for flouting them. But SpaceX's run of success with this strategy may be coming to an end, unquote. Uh, the letter comes after SpaceX called out Amazon last week for attempting to protest SpaceX's satellite change configuration plans, saying it was, quote, only the latest in its continuing efforts to slow down competition, unquote. See what SpaceX is doing there. Now, next week, I'm going to be speeding, speaking with just the person you'd want to hear from on this and many other things. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy. This will be his first interview since becoming CEO, uh, so be sure to catch that exclusive right here, Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Carl? In the meantime, we'll get a firm in Zscaler tonight before uh, we get PPI tomorrow and a chance for the street to reflect on the anniversary of 9-11. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.